Welcome to the Liberty Mindset. Come and explore some of the ideas and issues facing our liberty. 2022 is an election year. As libertarians, we ask that you consider voting in the Liberty Mindset. Welcome, and thank you for your time. Welcome to the Liberty Mindset. Today we're looking at the Eighth Amendment, dealing with excessive fines, bail, and cruel and unusual punishment. The amendment says... Excessive bail shall not be required, nor excessive fines imposed, nor cruel and unusual punishments inflicted. For the founding of this idea, we get a look at the English Bill of Rights of 1689 and the lying tongue of Titus Oates. Oates was such a noble man that in 2005, English historians voted Mr. Oates the worst Briton of the 17th century and the third worst of the last thousand years. Titus Oates was a failed at everything who spent three years fostering Protestant hatred towards Catholics. His lies ended with the execution of some 15-plus Catholics, his conviction for perjury a misdemeanor at the time. Titus spent his time weaving tales of repeated attempted murder of King Charles II, a Protestant king. Anglicans apparently were considered Protestants. I didn't know that. Oates was sentenced by a judge known for harsh punishments, Chief Justice George Jeffries. Since the crime of perjury was not a capital offense, Judge Jeffries devised a, quote, non-lethal punishment in common use at the time. He was given a 2,000 mark fine, which is like millions of dollars today. Mm -hmm. Oates will be dragged from the old gate to the new gate about a mile while being flogged. Then we will drag you, and two days later, we'll drag you from Newburgh to Tyburn, almost three miles, while being flogged. And then sentenced to life in prison. If you survive the, that. <laughs> he did survive it. Uh, though the crimes of Titus Oates were terrible in the resultant deaths, in 1689, Parliament codified the idea of no cruel and unusual punishment. The Oates case was brought before Parliament, and he was released from jail. But the House of Lords, who vied for his release, also refused to suspend or reverse the judgment. Yes, you were wrong, Mr. Oates, but you're so bad, we're not going to apologize. And that is how English law and later Virginia and American law got the Eighth Amendment. And I'm here with Jimmy. So buckle up, seek truth, and stay curious. What say you, Jimmy? Do you want to be cruel? <laughs> well, I mean, I can be cruel. I can I can play devil's advocate here if you want. Cruel or I, wait, we're both unusual, so I'm not going to say cruel yeah. and unusual. But I mean, you know. So what do you think? Um is the Eighth Amendment good? Is it good enough? That's maybe part of the question. One of the interesting things I've saw, seen during my research is the general consensus that the lack of specificity is a problem. Right. So it, it is super vague to begin with. So, yes, cruel and, cruel and unusual is subjective to a lot of people and cultures. So what might be cruel and unusual to us here might be completely different in a country across the world. Um, whereas like an eye for an eye in some places is normal, is justice to a lot of places, different cultures. But in America, eye for an eye doesn't necessarily uh, work in all cases. So <laughs> um, the idea of cruel and unusual punishment, yes, we need to abstain from that because dragging somebody multiple miles while flogging them is a bit over the top. And Especially for perjury. Yeah, perjury, I mean, you know, in, in other places, other places in the world, you think if they use if it was perjury, you know, they would do something like 
cut out his tongue or something absurd like that, which is still cruel and unusual, but it's common practice in different countries. So what is it in America that's defined as cruel and unusual? It's not defined in these, this amendment. It's just kind of, yeah, me. Here you go. Well, and you know, you're absolutely right. Now, if we if we go back in history, because I'm a history buff, right? I love my history. I, I dive deep into historic holes because I think it's fun to swim in the historic waters. Um, you know, during the parliamentary debates, part of what they defined as cruel and unusual is what was occurring for punishments of that crime. Mm-hmm. And since that in particular punishment, which was not unusual, right. um, it was not considered to be an unusual punishment, it was unusual for perjury. Now, you usually would have had to murder somebody or do something terrible in order to get dragged around and flogged. But the judge had it at his disposal because it was not considered lethal. And he was a jerk and said, yep, this is what we're going to do. Um, and and, and in, their, in their debate over the terms cruel and unusual, that was the historical precedent they used is what had been done in the past for that crime and exceeding what had been done in the past would have been considered cruel or, or unusual. Yeah. You know, and which makes it, gives it a fairly decent definition. And even American law in the beginning seemed to think the same thing. I mean, you know, during American law, the punishment of flogging was not entirely unusual and not just for slaves. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know it was done in slaves. And again, we're not going to pretend that slavery was okay. It wasn't. And we're not going to pretend it didn't happen either. And let's, this is not, this debate is, you know, we'll get to the 14th Amendment soon enough and the slave stuff will all come up. So everybody who wants (laughs) to sit there and tell us how terrible we are for condoning slavery, which I don't, um, (laughs) just hold your keyboards. That's all I have to say. And um, because we'll get to it (laughs) in mass. Um, We actually already have a guest scheduled for the the 14th Amendment. Awesome. So yeah, it's going to be an interesting debate, and uh, not our usual not our usual guest. It's not it's nobody we've had on, but we've had on before. Um, Surprises. <laughs> yeah, well, she, it's in the notes. So if you want to cheat yeah. and look, you can. Um, anyway, uh, but so you know, there seems to be a a basic outline of what cruel and unusual can be. Having said that, everything I've been reading and looking at in modern times applies more to the way you've explained it that what we think now is cruel and unusual is much more subjective where there is no limit so So go ahead there's no cap on what that means and even if we take it as like a whatever was done historically then we have screwed everybody over who's locked up right now because what they're dealing with like sardines in a can that's cruel and unusual so um in some views in my views i feel like in certain prisons in across the u.s are packed way too tight and i don't see why sticking you know six four to six people in a small cell is okay Mm -hmm. and i you know and you're absolutely and i will agree with that 100 percent. there's not only is there mental health issues involved with packing people in that close. There is also sanitation and health issues mm-hmm. packing in people that close. So for that, you will get me no argument. Right. However, when the second district court decided that sentencing a person to home incarceration and 10 months without television was considered cruel and unusual punishment, 
Um, yeah, no, no, no. That's the, the, the judge sentenced the, the uh, defendant who pled guilty um, to 10 months of home incarceration. He wasn't even to go to jail. He just had to, he just had to stay home for 10 months. Um, but during that time, the judge thought it was important that he take time to reflect on his crime. So they said no television. And they ended up suing for and getting a stay of the television portion because that would have been considered cruel and unusual punishment. Well, I guess I mean, TV. one could argue prisoners in jail have TV in some prisons, I'm sure. That, well, that and would be an there, was, there was an argument in Arizona where because in Arizona, Maricopa County, they only allowed channels like Disney and, and Nickelodeon on the television. They wouldn't allow other... Uh, oh, and Fox News, I think, maybe CNN, but they wouldn't allow any other channels. And somebody sued saying that was cruel and unusual punishment. Which means so even having a TV, pardon? Which means the whole cruel and unusual really is subjective. It is very subjective. There was recently a man who just, who is in the process of settling a case because of the pink underwear in Maricopa County. Um. Oh, you look confused. You don't know about that? No. Okay. Well, one of the things you they tell. do in, one of the things they do in men's prisons in Maricopa County is dye all the underwear, t-shirts and and pants pink. Okay. The reason they do that is because it reduced the amount of theft that occurred when the inmates were released because apparently they were stealing thousands of dollars worth of undershirts and underwear when they left prison. So they dyed them pink. And all of a sudden, they stopped stealing them. That was the entire purpose, was to get them to stop stealing them. Now, there was a man who was later found to be mentally ill, who was claimed because they forced him to wear pink underwear physically. And in this case, they did. And so maybe there is a reason for the judgment. That's, I mean, a reason for the settlement that's reasonable. Because he was mentally unstable, they didn't treat him as such. Mm -hmm. But... He refused to wear the pink underwear. They forced him to wear the pink underwear, and he called it rape for having pink underwear put on him. I mean, it's possibly considered assault. I suppose. You know, I would think so. assault would be maybe a little bit more. But you know, the, the question is, and the guy was mentally ill, so there's a there's a there's a problem there. Right. And I don't think I'm not saying that they handled it right, but it's just there's so many things now that are. One of my problems with the whole everything is cruel mentality, which is something we're going towards, is that it also has absolutely zero indication about the victims of the crimes. And you have to question what justice is when there is no punishments. Now, that would, to me, bring up something that you just mentioned, right? We were just talking about this offline, and I want to, I want to, I want us to be discussing this, yeah, because um, it's important. Well, yeah, it's definitely important, specifically to the Eighth Amendment. And um, as I was mentioning to Gregor offline, I was scrolling through TikTok and tripped across this video of somebody who was very concerned and upset about the idea of this. And of course, I went to go fact check because it didn't make a whole lot of sense. So Illinois, as of January 2023, January 1st, 2023, there are going to be 11 crimes that are considered non-detainable offenses. You either are booked, you get a court date, and then you're released, depending upon what the judge says, 
or the judge can decide that you are liable to commit the crime again or there's another you know some other reasons multiple offenses i'm not sure about that detail but the judge can decide to basically keep you until locked up until prison so and this link will be this link for this in particular article will be in the description of the of the youtube channel so Um, i mean there it's called the safety act uh and a lot of people don't feel like it's safe. A lot of people are comparing it to the purge. A lot of people are upset thinking that second degree murderers are going to be loose on the streets and go out and commit crimes again. But these people don't oh. understand what second degree murder is, do they? Mm-hmm. It's, well, and they're in dead. And you know, there, there is, there is, there is that. So hold on a second. This article is very short. Yes. Um, so let's see here. Be charged with these crimes in the 2020. Uh, let's see here. So I think that might be the article that the person that I saw on. Yeah, this is the one you shared. So this is the one I wanted to share because this is this is it's your gig. Um, Does the Illinois Safety Act um, just give perks to criminals? Critics say yes. Here's what you need to know about the uh, state's new criminal justice form of law. Here's everything you need to know. The controversial law that goes into effect on January 1st, 2023. The criminal justice reform law is the elimination of cash bail for anyone charged with any of close to a dozen crimes that are now classified as non-detainable offenses. Under this new law, if you're charged with a crime on this list, you will be able to be released without bail pending a court date. It is very difficult to see of any good in this safety act when you see some of the violent crimes that were classified as non-detainable. Illinois Safety Act, non-detainable offenses. Aggravated battery, aggravated DUI, aggravated fleeing, arson, burglary, uh, drug-induced homicide, intimidation, kidnapping, robbery, second-degree murder, threatening a public official. According to Facebook Post, WFSN News, Illinois, there, are, there is one more part interpreting this law, quote, criminals eligible for probation upon conviction will be able to be released pending a court date. So you're only going to be released without bail pending a court date. If you were eligible for probation, you should get convicted. Something doesn't seem right about that. How would you know if someone is eligible for probation without a verdict? Isn't this entirely possible during the trial that the offender could face a reduced charge? If you have time, you will really scroll through and here's a bunch of stuff. There's links here with all kinds of other stuff. And then, then of course, we have to have the picture of the worst um mugshots and i've seen worse mugshots than that i'm sorry um i see worse driver's license <laughs> yeah really my driver's license was worse than that okay I so mean, there's the article that's so one article I've done, that's one I article and there's i mean the search <laughs> when i did a search for this it was huge the number of articles and it's really mm-hmm. fascinating depending on which publication sides. oh yeah it's fascinating so what say you miss jimmy <laughs> so first of all the article that article specifically does not say everything in there and then talking they don't talk about the fact that a judge can decide that somebody's too much of a risk and detain them so yes these are non-detainable offenses but the judge is ultimately in most states the judge determines if there's going to be parole so that i'm assuming that they would have done research and asked judges of illinois what are offenses that you find you're issuing parole for? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that would make sense to me if you're going to put something like this into action to actually research that to some level. I don't think, 
I don't, I would hope that the officials aren't just making something up and just flinging it out there and seeing what happens. I guess that just happened. Um, but I'm going to hope that maybe they didn't hear uh, because this to me, it sounds like you have a lot deal. more confidence in our, our people than I do, but yes, you're right. I mean, I, I I'm hopeful. I'm, you know, internal optimist here. Um, but what bothers me is people don't seem to be paying attention to what some of these crimes are. A lot of them don't have intent like drug-induced homicide, usually that's, you know, psychosis level stuff. And that whoa, means you probably get whoa, whoa, whoa. From... What do you mean? Well, drug-induced homicide means that you sold so many drugs and they killed themselves with them. Then mm, I had that backwards. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because if you're, if yeah. you're, at least in Oregon and California, if you're, if you're charged with drug-induced homicide, it's because you sold somebody illegal narcotics and they overdosed and died. It's just one of but those charges there, they there create. There was no intention from the person who sold it for that person to go take them all. If you knew ahead of time that that person that was the intent of the person that you're selling it to, then that wavers a bit, and that's where the judge needs to weigh in on whether or not this person's at risk of doing it again. Okay. And these people who are eligible for parole post, you know, being in prison, I I would just. They're going to be out in theory anyways. <laughs> Why does it matter which side of the coin they're going to be out on? <laughs> and it's better for the justice system to not have more people crammed like sardines in a, a prison or a jail. And it lowers the need for the amount of security, the risks for the security and the police who are in these, um, these prisons as well. So I remember reading about... What was it Piper Chapman's um, Orange is New Black, the book, not not the series. The series is interesting, but it strays a lot. But the book, and she's talking about being shipped from like place to place to place while she was awaiting trial because she was considered a flight risk. And it's like she's in with people who are a lot more hardened than her. And I, I do ponder whether or not that influences people's rate of recidivism when they're being detained for court and they have not been convicted yet. So in theory, they're still supposed to be innocent, but they're still they're in prison. That doesn't seem right. And then secondly, so if they are innocent, what you are who you keep is the old saying. Um, if you are around a lot of people who do commit these crimes, are you going to commit them to? You don't know, of course, until you get there. But in the, theory, the old um, the old environment versus genetic right. propensity thing, whether the environment influences you to commit crimes more than any kind of predisposition. Stanford, Stanford prison experiment proved a little yeah. bit of you don't know until you're there. Um, well, yeah, no, I remember the Stanford experiment, which <laughs> was also highly falsified data, but yeah. Um, you know, that was an interesting, I, I, I do think it's a good, a good warning mm -hmm. where people will do amazing things when encouraged to do them. And, yeah. you know, they have, I experimented a time and a time again with, you know, there was an, ultimately an experiment with, you know, an electrical shock where you gave a person a theoretical electrical shock to a person mm -hmm. and people did it because they were told to, and not for, you know, and it was the rare mm -hmm. person who would say, you know, I'm not doing this. I don't care about the, you know, the $25 or whatever you're giving me for this study. Right. I, I'm not going to push that button. It was a rare person. Everybody else did it and they thought they were 
causing huge electrical, you know, they had a person screaming in the other room. Now the mm -hmm. person wasn't being shocked, of course, it was all just to all see the person pushing the yeah. button yeah. more than anything else. But, uh, you know, interesting. But I, you know, and, and I don't, see, I'm in a, in a bit of a quandary because historically speaking, let's use Portland. We both live just a short distance from Portland. Mm -hmm. Very few crimes are prosecuted. Very few people are held with bail at all, period, um, for any crime. And in the last five years, crime is up 15% or something like that. Shootings alone are up 80%. Um, property damage is up several hundred percent. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and most of the people that they detain are repeat offenders. Yeah. Or at least suspected repeat offenders because you're innocent until proven guilty. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm with you on the whole proven guilty innocent thing. I, I really, it really bothers me to hold people in jail who are not convicted. I have a lot of problem with that. And this brings us back to our speedy trial discussion. You know, how much better would it be if a person could say, I'm being arrested? Yes, I want a trial and I want the trial right now. Um, you know, I want a jury trial as fast as possible. And therefore, it's not taking months and years, which is, you know, part of the reason that their people are trying to find some amount of money that is worthy of not losing. Mm -hmm. And therein lies the problem, because to me, it's, you know, a hundred bucks is a lot of money to a rich guy. $10,000 is nothing. And, um, you know, a rich guy is going to skip on bail no matter what, you know, even if they don't have a bail right. bondsman, if they've paid their own bail out of pocket, they're going to skip on it if, if they want to, yeah. because they can afford to. If they, if it, so it only really imprisons people who can't pay for it. Yeah. Now, now Mike Schmidt, the DA of Multnomah County is the one that is not processed. He's not even charging people. So they're not getting to the point where they're even reviewed for bail or not. Mm -hmm. They're not getting to the point where a judge looks at the case at all. He's just not charging him by choice. And the results of that are horrendous. I mean, my wife doesn't even like going to work. Um, she has stopped going to work. She works from home now most exclusively because of the dangers. Just two weeks ago, there was somebody stabbed across the street from her building in broad daylight during office hours. Yeah. My you know, husband was like, worried that he'd get a job in Portland because of that, those reasons, you know, it's yeah. a new job. And, you know, Portland's a wonderful city and has a great history. But, you know, when I started looking for a place to live, there's a reason we moved to Hillsborough. Yeah. You know, and it's not that far away. And I know it's going to eventually leak here. And, you know, they're Hillsborough starting to enact policies that are going to cause that problem. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the fact of the matter is, I feel a lot safer here than I do anywhere in Portland. Yeah, and same with um, me. My husband and I here in Tualatin, we feel a lot safer down here, um, you know, on the edge yeah. of Clark County than we so, do so therein, in So therein lies the challenge, though, is that, you know, yes, you're innocent until proven guilty, but you have, you know, years of, we still have people from the January 6th who haven't been uh, incident, mm -hmm. that haven't been charged, and they're in solitary confinement for 18 months. That's not okay. Or 20 that months, 25 months okay. now. No, it's not okay. Even the UN says solitary confinement is considered cruel and unusual punishment, which I'm not a fan of the UN at all. You, as far as I'm concerned, they can go fly themselves. But um, you know, the fact of the matter is, effects, though. why are we allowing it? 
Well, because they're political prisoners, they're not actual criminal prisoners. I mean, many of them have been walked, have found, have the ones that have gone to trial, some of them have actually been acquitted because they found the evidence was lacking. They also, one of the reasons solitary confinement is used, and it's not talked about as much, is because of risk of the person being released into gen pop and being murdered before trial, which is another reason to not have people in jail before trial <laughs> but yeah you know there's the that safety of, there's so there's this like ebb and flow of they don't have the space to put all the prisoners from like the january 6th trial say because they could all be together in theory because hopefully they would have some sense of well they're all in maybe. the same prison they're all yeah. they're all in the same wing of the prison but they're not allowed to talk to each other it's part of the punishment and that's that's absurd. That screws with the psychological aspects of anybody's mind. We're social creatures. We're supposed to engage. When the prison system was first constructed, it was not meant to be a long-term situation like they are now. And right. you weren't you're were still supposed to be solitary, but it was only a couple of weeks, maybe at most. Yeah, I but think I think the UN repenting. recognizes anything over 10 or 15 days, something like that. Yeah, and that's probably. the way the original system had it. So I get why the UN would back that. Because yeah, somebody wrote a paper sense. on the German and American systems I was reading earlier today. Yeah. Nice yeah. job. It was so a good paper. Well, I mean, it was, as you pointed out, 13 years ago, and views mm -hmm. change over Definitely. time. But it was informative. And I didn't get through. That was the one I chose to read because I didn't have time to read them all. There's a lot of information you sent over, and it was great. And I actually will probably thumb through the rest of it. Um, yeah. Just to give uh, people a background here, I, my, I have a degree in criminal justice, so that's where this one kind of hits, hits home for me. I have a big issue with our prison system. Um, so a lot of what I sent Gregor is stuff from my schooling days, which was 13 years ago. <laughs> and, and of course she was a libertarian. Yeah, I mean, I was a, a diehard Democrat because I didn't know better. Um, no offense to people who really feel like that's the way that they should be voting. Good for you. Good on you. Well, come but on, you should offend them. I'm sorry. <laughs> Anything I say can be offended or can offend somebody. Offended offense is fair. taken, not given. So don't Amen. apologize for doing nothing if you know i'm sorry I, I that's a rule i have to live by because my existence is offensive to people i'm a white straight overweight male so there's you know there's there's several things there that is going to offend somebody yeah. and guess what it's not my fault if you're offended by that so just no apology with the jury apologize when you need to not when you don't have to Gregor is mentioning in regards to America versus Germany. We had to do a paper on another country's uh, system in Germany. It's fairly similar to ours, but you know, I think it was what two thousand and in two thousand three, California had close to what was it, one hundred fifty five thousand inmates, and at the same time, Germany had like fifty six k. So their system, our systems are very different on what actually gets tried. They also have a probation offer that, officer that basically acts like what we have for social workers with people along the entirety of it. But the one thing I do really like about their system is that their fines are based on a percentage. So mm -hmm. if a person, you know, makes $100,000 a year and they have a fine that says they have to do like 40% or something, they have to put that amount of money aside for whatever crime it was. But if a person only makes $10,000, 
40% of that is still, it's still a lot of money, regardless of which side you are on, but it's actually more fair to mm-hmm. the public. If you're going to find people, or if you're going to do bail, then at least make it manageable for the people who don't have as much to utilize. Now, bail is interesting because people always think about just money, but there's more to it than money. You mm-hmm. can do houses, you can do anything you own can be put up. And uh, people do put up their houses, they put up their cars, they put up their boats, they put up family heirlooms and other things that you could pawn, you basically can put it up. <laughs> for right. And a lot of people don't seem to realize that as much either, but still, somebody- Well, that's because everyone deals with the, you know, the judges, the judges set a financial amount mm-hmm. and then the bail bondsman figures out how to pay for it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, bail bond, bails bond, people don't realize bail bonds will take a lien on your house, will take mm-hmm. your car, will take a lien on your car, whatever, though, in order to secure the bail. That's their job is to figure that out. And then they come up with the cash for the state. Um, so that makes the state very cash centric. But, then, I mean, yeah. yeah. Mike, you know, the question is, like, if you're being tried for a crime, even innocent, guilty, doesn't matter, but you have a bail set, you're now in a prison for it because they don't go to just jail they go to prison for it and they um are hanging out there for like the january 6 people anywhere from eight to 18 months while you wait for your trial now to be able to post bail you would have to put a lien on your house and your car on whatever else that you own psychologically you know my brain goes yes i should post bail but (laughs) Part of me that's a little more on the libertarian, more on the political side, I'll just go with that, says, don't pay the state more money. Mm-hmm. Don't pay the government more money because you're not getting it back. You don't, I mean, to my knowledge, you don't get bail back. Actually, I mean, you get yeah, your you house do. back, right? you can. What, it's only if you're not convicted. Is that correct? No, it's uh, a bail is only kept if you don't show up. Oh, okay. It has nothing Thank to do you. with your conviction. If it's, it's been a while since it's show up. my criminal justice courses, so that one was a little rusty yeah. on me. I, I think it might de- depend on the certain situations, but yeah, I guess not showing. There is a um, now a bail, 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 bail bondsmen do charge fees for their services, mm-hmm. so you'll owe your bail bondsmen something. But you know, most most of the time, bail bondsmen have to put up ten percent of whatever your bail is to the city, but they or whoever whatever court system. You know, they have, if you have a if you have a million dollar bail, they have to put up a hundred thousand dollars in cash, and they'll have to pay the other nine hundred thousand if you don't show up. So now I don't know if they get yeah. that ten percent back off the top of my head. I really don't know. But, yeah, and I mean, it, it's interesting that we're still doing this after at least a century, if not more. And sorry, my cat just moved. Um, <laughs> I lost my train of thought. But we're still doing this um, years later, and um, it doesn't necessarily make sense anymore. Well, I'm going to argue to a little bit that something has to make sense. Whether it's this or not, I don't know. Here's part of my thing, and looking through history, punishments have gotten less and less and less, and in that time, prisons have gotten fuller and fuller and fuller. Um, Part of me wonders a few things if we were tougher a little bit earlier on. 
and I know this is going to sound weird, and it's because I'm a science fiction buff. Um, and, and, you know, I know everybody's only seen the movie, which was really, really, really bad. But Starship Troopers, the book, Robert A. Heinlein wrote about a society. And good science fiction's never about the tech. It's always about the society. You know, it's always a commentary on society. And three of the, there's three things that are really interesting about his society. And yes, it's fantasy. However, when you look throughout history, how much those things actually worked, then you can say, hmm, you could earn, you could earn Roman citizenship. Okay. And being a Roman, we know from history was a very powerful, having a Roman citizenship was a very powerful tool. And it made something desired by people of all nationalities to become a Roman citizen because you were then protected by Rome. And in some parts of during the Roman history, Roman citizens were so well protected be, just because their citizenship, they could run around the country with impunity. Now they couldn't do bad things because they would be convicted of crimes, but nobody would rob them because if you beat a Roman citizen, your village would be plowed under and destroyed. It was a simple, cause and effect you beat the roman citizen your world ended okay cruel yes okay that was terrible however the aspect of having a citizenship of having a something value is what this book dealt with in order to be a citizen you had to do two years of quote service now the book focused on military service but it wasn't limited to that it could be other forms of service you know but you had to go for two years and be of service to the world because it was a world government, um, whether it be part of the military or, or some other you know, form of government service before you could become a citizen. Now, everybody else had rights. They could do all kinds of things. They just couldn't vote. They couldn't do things that citizens could do. They got to participate in business and do all kinds of things. But the main thing is they couldn't vote, right? Or, and get the benefits of the total benefits of citizenry. The other thing that was very common is for minor crimes, you might've been flogged. So you did something really stupid, you might get 10 lashes. Now, the interesting thing about the culture that Highland presented was, the culture was, if you got your 10 lashes, your punishment was done. Yeah. That was it. It wasn't you went on with your life yeah. the rest of the time. Now, I think that's something that is missing from our current culture. Mm -hmm. um that if a person goes to prison and serves their time it is my feeling that when they get out they should be again a human being okay right. and part of the challenge is is we have because of recidivism and because of other things we have so jaded ourselves they can't find jobs they can't do this they can't do i mean if you if you hire a convict and it's known you're a convict you're in your insurance rates go through the roof as an as an employer you're you're tech you're, you're, and so they can't hire convicts you know except for very special circumstances where somebody makes a point of doing it and sacrifices all their finances to do it which is ridiculous okay i also think that ex-convicts who've gone and served their time and referred their country should not have their gun rights taken away they should not have voting rights taken away of course nowadays people vote from prison all the time but um you know that's a whole nother thing um 
And I don't have a problem with why you're in prison not being able to vote, but once you get back out, you should be a citizen again. Well, you're supposed to contribute to society. You should be allowed to be part of society. You should that's right. You should be allowed to be part of society. And and therein is to me part of what we're missing as a culture is we don't this our culture no longer has any sense of forgiveness and reset. And I really think it's a lot of it is due to that whole Marxist thing that we now call wokeness, where, you know, we have to we have to give the land back to the Indians. We have to give everything back to people who were you know oppressed in previous times. And it's not that I don't think we should recognize those points in history. No, that we should realize how bad we were as a people. And yet we are now in comparison. Well, yeah, there's that. Um, you know, you talk about prison and, you know, I, I, I have been to, I have been in prisons that you had straw mats. Mm -hmm. You literally were given a mattress that you stuffed with straw twice a week. Mm -hmm. And that was your mattress. And, you know, and talk about, you didn't get, there's no such thing as TV, mm -hmm. you know, and, um, the floors may have been dirt and your plumbing was a bucket. And, you know, this is, this is the way the most of the rest of the world does still work in the second and third world. Now, Germany, of course, is a first world country. And again, I think we're, I think we're over, to an extent we are over um, imprisoning, but I also think we are, in some ways we are under imprisoning because we're letting violent criminals out um, without any trial. Well, we, yeah, we put a lot of people in prison for nonviolent crimes and for things in which are potential and then the other side of it that i feel like a lot of people who are up in arms over what's going on in illinois aren't paying attention to is how many people are in prison right now that mm -hmm. are innocent well there and are they're, they're in as a challenge organizations and, and... that are dedicated to helping these people who are innocent in prison so how many are we actually incarcerating that did the crime? Well, there's a good question. And, 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 you know, one of the things that happens with plea deals is people who are innocent will often accept a plea deal because they're told by their lawyer, you know, this is the best thing you're going to get. Where if they were to actually go to a jury trial and, and have all the discovery that they're allowed, I wonder how many of them would be convicted. Can we make getting a second opinion on plea bargains a thing? You know, <laughs> if, if your lawyer says this is the best you're going to get, call someone else in. Yeah, you can do it on can't you do? Why can't you do it on lawyers? You can do it um, on pretty yeah. much everything else. <laughs> yeah, no, no, there's truth there. There's truth there. But, uh, you know, there, was, there have been several of the January 6th people, once they started the discovery, they found video of the 40,000 hours of videos that we've not seen. They found video where they were waved through the front doors, where they're, you know, they walked in and no, there was all everything was peaceable, mm -hmm. and yet we have a large number of them who were all who also pled guilty to lesser charges because they didn't think they had a snowball's chance. Now, after the first, now after the first person was acquitted because you know, look at look, here's a video proof that I didn't trespass. I was invited in. They waved me through the open doors. I didn't break in. Right. Right. Um, 
more and more of them are starting to look at going to trial and more and more of them, I think are going to be just let go because it's like, well, we really don't have the evidence, which means they were incarcerated for no reason whatsoever. Yeah. Which brings us back to your point of innocence, but well, that brings us back to the idea of speedy trial. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because without one, if, I mean, I think that's part of the thing we really have to solve to solve many of our problems Because if we have to wait three years for a trial, which is not uncommon, not okay. You know, you're suffering that whole time, whether you're in jail or even if you have that hanging over your head, mm-hmm. you know, and the I've been looking into the idea. Forever, for one. Well, well, we talked about self-defense, you know, defending yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like at this point, you know, the first thing I'm going to tell a judge is I'm not guilty. I want a jury trial. Yeah. You know, there. and I'll just and that's, you know, that's th- this is not negotiable. Mm-hmm. And well, you'll need a lawyer. It's like, no, I don't think I need a lawyer. I can't afford one. So legally, let's you go. don't need a lawyer. So yeah, well, and you don't. And and but I also think you know, Leon pointed on last time that maybe they would just drop the charges after they figured out that they were going to have to go through the whole thing, mm-hmm. because all of a sudden their negotiation tactics don't work. Right. And so I, you know, I I think that's something that people need to really understand is that you are innocent until you're proven guilty, and you should act innocent until you're proven guilty and demand a trial by your mm-hmm. peers. You know, um, because it's much easier to hang a jury or convince twelve people that you're innocent with evidence than it is to get the legalese right to get a mm-hmm. judge to declare you innocent. Not that a judge is bad; it's just they require certain things to say you're innocent, and if you can't fulfill those then they're going to declare you guilty. Where with a jury, they could look at the law and say, you know what, this isn't fair mm-hmm. and declare you innocent if, if, if things aren't right. Yeah, I definitely agree that that would be the way to go. It's, it's interesting, you know, because even recently my husband got jury summons and first one that he's gotten since we've been together. I think it might be the first one he's ever had. And he went down to the courthouse and turns out he went down to the courthouse basically to just get information on the case. And then when they were going to be doing the jury, like choosing, he was supposed to call by a certain time each each day to check in to see if he needed to go down there to be, um, you know, mm-hmm. ask more questions. So the process of even obtaining a jury is extensive. So that takes a lot of time. Um, so there's part of potential hang up right there on um, what could, one of the one of the many aspects, one of the many cogs that's moving slowly in the justice system. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Well, and and people talk about uh, like you 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 know if you get if you get a summons to a jury, what's their first question? Well, you're going to get out of it, right? And my answer is always no. Um, you know, I'm no, I'm gonna I'm gonna I've served on two juries and I will serve on ten more. I'm happy to serve. It's my duty as a as an American to serve. It's part of what we're supposed to do. And once I you know, someday I'll probably get summoned as well, and I'm happy to serve also. I also don't know that anybody will want to pick me because I have this propensity to look at everything from 12 different angles within 10 seconds. 
Yay for neurodivergence. No, don't worry. Don't worry. They'll, they won't ask you stuff like that. They'll ask you stuff like, if do you know any peace officers? You know, and are peace officers always right or things like that? They, you know, they ask you about your political leanings. They ask you what your views are on certain. Well, in California, laws. they can't ask your political leanings. Oh, they did here. Yeah, they can't. They can't. In yeah. California, they can't ask that. Yeah. I'm sure I would have been kicked off the jury if I had been asked that. But I was, was asked, I, was the, so. I was the foreman of. <laughs> I was a foreman of one jury for a drug trafficker mm-hmm. and I was on another jury for a drunk driving conviction. Um, and the uh, drunk driver um, managed to have two of the charges dropped because the law enforcement officer was new and didn't do his job and lied under oath. Mm. Um, and the, you know, she was convicted of, of reckless driving because there was a terrible accident and it was obviously there was whatever drunk or not, she was recklessly driving. So Mm -hmm. the reckless driving charge struck, but the drunk driving charge didn't because the way the evidence was collected and processed was not. And the, and the, uh, arresting officers testimony convicted with other witnesses, conflicted with other witnesses. So it's like, okay, he's lying about this. What else is he lying about? But the accident was, you know, not lying about. We saw the pictures. So, and the drug trafficker, had he not, may, may have gotten off if he'd not demanded that he testify himself. Uh, because the evidence prior to that was so weak that mm-hmm. I know some of the jurors were like, no, 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 no. And then he testified himself and spun a whole new story that didn't make any sense. And everybody says, yeah, he's guilty. <laughs> Yikes. Oh, yeah, no, I mean, it was, you know, um, but it was always both times was a good experience because you know you're in there with a bunch of strangers and you have to figure out the truth and it's 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 it's, it's hard and it's a lot of work but I think it's one of those services that are important to our society you have to be willing to do it and do it with a good conscience. When um, leaning a little more back towards the the bail aspect of this and the cruel unusual aspect. Oh, you mean the subject we're supposed to be on? Yes. The so, do you think sending somebody prior to trial who may or may who we have to assume is innocent? Let's just do cut it there. To prison isn't cruel and unusual, or is cruel and unusual? And what's our solution? Oh, no, no spots to put me on there. Um, what's our solution? We can discuss. It's an open discussion. I'm just curious. Yeah. Well, <laughs> my problem is this. Um, there was recently a man arrested for after his 100th release in two months from crimes being committed for assault and battery. That, that assault here? and battery. Huh? Was that here? Was it, or? Yeah. Okay. And that assault and battery would not have been committed if he had been held for trial. Okay. Now, his other crimes were more and more violent and more and more disgusting. And the reason that they were he was released is because at the time they were considered technically victimless. Part of my problem is, is I do not believe there is such a thing as a victimless crime. Okay, The only thing close to a victimless crime is somebody who seeks out and purchases illegal narcotics okay it's not that it's not trying to sell the narcotics it's just i can't if you're the one doing it to yourself and you're not forcing anyone else to do it but are you a victim of the system 
Huh? Because you choose to go out and get illegal drugs? So if you're doing drugs in general, a lot of people do drugs to escape their world, to escape society for whatever reasons that they need. So aren't they thus a victim of the system, of society, of the societal pressures and system that they're on? I mean, no. some people think that suicide's a victimless crime, and it's not. No. Well, I'll agree with that suicide's not a victimless crime because there's always mm-hmm. people around you. However, I will contend that you, you use the interesting word, the, a need to escape. And I think therein lies the problem is our society has given people the permission to escape. Um, and there is a difference between need and permission. And How have they given a permission to? Well, because you have your truth. What does that term, your truth, mean today? I have my I think truth. We've, I think we've, we've discussed this, everybody's, I mean, your truth is probably your perception of reality and how things went down. But often when those words are said, things get a little skewed because everybody's perception is different. Memory is wonky. I mean, you have, you can, there's plenty of evidence that people don't always remember things um, right. correctly. Now, you talked about a need to escape. Let's talk mm-hmm. about let's something, something that's been researched for 500 years, alcoholism. Mm-hmm. Okay. Alcoholism is, is something where somebody drinks an, a mind-altering chemical, and they often claim they need it, and they need it to shut the voices in their head, to, um, you know, deal with, to, they call it dealing with the problem, when in reality, they're escaping the problem. It's, there's not dealing with anything, and I don't view narcotics as anything different. You're not, you're, you may be escaping reality, but you're not dealing with it in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. It is just an escape. Yeah. And by giving people permission to live in this denial of reality, we are, as a society, allowing them to damage themselves. Now, enabling them is what you're saying. Is it, or enabling them. Is it yeah. their choice? Absolutely. And do yeah. I have, as a libertarian, I can't say I'm not going to let you do it mm-hmm. because I really believe that individual freedom is so much more important than anything else even as a as a christian man i can't sit there and tell you you know if you're not part of my congregation and you're not part of the christian faith i'm not going to put you know romans tells me that i don't have an i don't romans 12 tells me i don't have the ability i think it's romans 12 or 13 tells me i don't have the ability to use my standard on you because you're not a member of my faith Okay, the Bible, the New Testament prohibits that. So all these folks that want to vote their religion, specifically, it's like, yeah, there's a reason you don't do that. And hence, as a libertarian, you know, I vote for the choice of freedom. And but having said that, if a person chooses to use narcotics, it is their choice and they need to be held responsible for it. That's the problem we're having right now with homelessness. People are homeless because they're saying they're choosing to be, when in reality, most of it's going to be related to drugs or mental illness. And I don't think I don't think those two are mutually exclusive. I think they, you know, you're mentally ill if you use drugs to get to escape. By definition, because you your your brain works in a way that I have to do this to live, I have to escape reality to live you're by default, that is a definition of mental illness because you're doing something that society deems as unsavory. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now 
Hillsborough just advertised they're going to put in a whole brand new homeless camp where they're building little tiny houses, little 20 square foot houses, and that they're going to that can hold up to a couple and they have a desk and they're going to have internet connectivity and they're going to have bathrooms and showers and all kinds of nifty stuff. And the only thing I, the only reason I don't bitch about this too much is because they also are going to have a bunch of mental health services there in conjunction with it. So the goal is to get these people back on a normal keel. That's the goal. That is a noble goal. There's nothing wrong with that. Just housing people. Go there. Huh? The people who, who truly in the back of their mind have that nagging voice, even though they have a chemical dependency they've built now, um, that want the help are definitely going to seek that out. Right. And I, and I don't think, and I, and I think that's great. And I think, you know, to me, it's, I don't think it's going to work, but it's worth a try because if they're doing it different than they've done before. Now, in before, they've housed people like cords of wood. That's, you know, get the, you know, the housing problem is a housing problem, so let's get them in housing and it'll all be fixed. Mm-hmm. Well, not it's not a housing problem. Never has mm-hmm. been a housing problem. We've had homeless people throughout history. Mm-hmm. And the people who are homeless, it's not a housing problem, right? It's always because they can't function in society the way we expect them to. Now, there may be some people that will never function in society, and somehow we need to well and with good conscience be able to deal with them. The other side of the coin is some people are just in a temporary rut and need a hand up. And I'm hoping that this will help those that need a hand up get their hand up and become contributing members of societies. And the ones that cannot be contributing, we need to figure out how to give them a decent life as possible. I think that as a society, we're morally obligated to do that. Now, do we need to do it as a government society? No, maybe not. There may be other ways to do that. But... I just, part of my problem is, is I don't see the government having ever been successful at anything, really. They've just not failed badly as as badly as before in some things. You know, um, the mail system is a prime prime example is, do you really want the government that's in charge of the mail system in charge of anything else? It costs 60 cents to mail a letter now, and it's not going to get there more times. And well, no, that's not true. 97% of their letters get to where they're going. But, you know, the fact of the matter is it takes forever. And I've worked in the postal system, and I'm shocked as it works as well as it does. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be I know, honest, I was in the postal service too, so I, I get it. <laughs> yeah, you know, so I, I you know, I'm, I'm impressed with how well it works, even though it's really it works really badly. So, there, you know, therein lies the problem: is we're going to, you know, do. And you mentioned overcrowding of jails, and I think the jails are overcrowded. I think we just start putting five, six, seven, eight people into a ten by ten cell. Houston, there is a huge problem. Okay, when you're hot swapping cots, when you're doing whatever, you know, it is you have to do to house as many people, we do have a problem there. And part of it is nobody wants to spend the money. And the other part of the problem is, is that we keep putting in jail, some of which may not deserve it. And as you pointed out, you go into jail and you get locked up with hardened criminals, guess what, you learn how to live a hardened criminal's life. And that becomes natural for you. You get out, you can't find a job. What are you going to do? You're going to turn to crime because Freddie from the inside knows a buddy that's got a job that's going to be really easy and there's no chance you're ever going to get caught. Mm-hmm. And then you're back in jail because, you know, Jimmy's buddy was not, or Kenny's buddy wasn't all that good. Well, and then the, the rate of recidivism, while is like blaringly obvious and we have yet to find a solution that works. Or at least we haven't studied it at length, at the length we need to. I'm going to disagree in a little bit. We have solutions that have worked. And invariably, there's two things that are in common. 
The people who wanted to get resolved did want to get resolved. Um, and the other side of the coin is, is that they did it, they resolved themselves for another, for a different purpose. Whether that's usually it's a higher purpose, generally it's a religious one. And I'm not saying you have to be religious. I'm just saying that is one tool that people have used to keep from being, re, you know, committing crimes again. They go on to become ministers. They go on to become actors. They go on to become other things that are, and they do it because they don't want to go back because it's bad and it's morally wrong. Because the person now, wants to change. The, the person wants to change. And now all the folks that come, come out of jail and go right back in, you know, we have a couple of different Psycho. types that I know about. You know, there's the ones that feel safer on the inside, so they get so they get caught, so they go back in. And you know, three hots in a cot. You know, how bad is life if you got three hots in a cot? Even if it's crowded, even if it's noisy, even if some people try to kill you, I don't get it, but that's some the way it is. Some people have been in so long; they get out on parole. The world's changed. It's scary, mm -hmm. and they know prison. They know and, how it works in there. And that's a fault of the prison system. I'll agree because mm -hmm. it doesn't prepare them to be released. No, it doesn't. And so, solution? a lot of the re rehabilitation things that work really well that have been tested in the you know low and medium prisons too, like animal um, training and things like that and raising animals um, works really great in those and helping that people decide to make that change themselves. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and usually, you know, I, there's there's TV series about dogs and prison guard, mm -hmm. prison inmates and stuff. And, you know, the dogs help the prison inmates because they realize that the dogs are, you know, there's somebody for them to take care of and somewhere that shifts their brain. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and and so therein, I guess, points to our solution. I think if we were to give people an opportunity to be successful in prison instead of just be kept. I wonder how much that would translate into an outside world. And I mean, I don't mean just an education because you can get a great college education inside prison, have it paid for by the state. But one of my things is people don't create things anymore. And that's a problem in this country. We don't have the creativity we used to where, you know, people think wealth is money and it's not. Wealth is when you take valueless objects and you make something valuable out of them. That's how you generate wealth. Mm -hmm. And if you want somebody to come out of prison and be able to generate wealth, they have to have some sort of skill, whether it's mental skill like coding or something else where you take nothing and make something out of it. They have to have those skills and we're not being given that skill. So when they come out and then they can't find work because insurance costs too much for businessmen to hire men or they can't, you know, our society doesn't trust them enough. You know, and how many shows have we seen where some guy opens up a, his office, his business to prison, prison meets and they look like this wonderful thing going on just to find out that they're running some sort of scam in the background. You know, that's a plot in Hollywood that's been done again and again, where this this noble business guy is running, actually running a big criminal organization with his ex-cons. Um, you know, so we, we don't have any, you know, we, we don't have the ability to trust and, and people who People, in order for people to recover, they have to be trusted. You have to start off with some level of trust for them. They have to be treated like human beings. Uh -huh. And that's one of the biggest problems that you see. I mean, the pink underwear thing, I get why they would people would be less likely to steal it. But it's also to certain people, that's demoralizing. And that's really belittling them because that's their perception of it. But well, can I, that's an interesting you know, point you bring up because 
if everyone is wearing pink underwear, who is being belittled? You're belittled yourself, and there's mental health issues and revolving in that. That's where it needs to be handled. But, you know, some people are going to think that, and they're going to feel less about themselves. Uh, The fact that we don't pay prisoners really much as much as maybe we should like a minimum wage type thing when they do produce things from prison also can make things difficult too because then it's like okay well you're going to get a buck or two for your work it makes you seem like less of a person you lose your rights when you come out you seem like less of a person well i suppose but i also think part of that is because they're not I mean, I, I don't know if I was, if I did some terrible crime that I got thrown in prison for, I don't have trouble being in my, you know, as my intellectual estate doesn't have trouble being in prison for it. You know, if I did a crime and that, and therein lies the problem is, is people don't think that they're even, the, even the guilty don't think they're guilty. The most important person in the story of you is you. Um, so everybody's going to pay attention to what works best for themselves. And at times that means, unfortunately, they do heinous things um, because that's what seems to make sense at the time. But yeah, people aren't the villain in their own story. Usually mm-hmm. there's very few occasions where that's true. So it's, it's a curious notion. Well, to, like, see, I think it's a, curious, it's a curious notion to think that the most important person in the story is you. Well, to yourself, I mean, you are the narrator. You are the person who's walking through. You are the eyes that you're seeing the world through. If you're not taking time to reflect and look at things from other perspectives. Well, and I, I don't I don't necessarily disagree. And having said that, I'm going to say that if everything I do is for my own personal selfish gain, then all I do is selfish things. Now, if I focus my intentions on serving outside of myself. And I don't mean this just in a Christian attitude, which is, yeah, sure, that's part of the roots, I'll guarantee it. But the fact of the matter is, if you think less of yourself and more of the world, if you think less about yourself and more of the world and you act accordingly, then overall, the world's a better place. Yeah. And, and a lot you of people are need both. to be taught that. Well, yeah, and that's, I mean, that's even an ancient piece of Japanese wisdom, you know, there's, there's wisdoms in every culture that indicate that if you do less for you and more for the people around you, everything is better. I don't care whether you're Christian or Islamic or Buddhist or whatever, all these different philosophies, not all of them are religions, some of these different philosophies is all about serving other people. And that's something we have lost as a society. And um, we stopped being the camera person and started really deciding to focus only on our our story, not on the stories around us, not on other people's bubbles that overlap. Well, you know, it's interesting. That's interesting. It's an interesting analogy, I think. And, and I don't disagree with it entirely. I just may tweak it a bit. Instead of being the focus of the camera, maybe we need to f- be the focuser of the camera. And therefore you can't look at yourself. You have to look outside yourself and, and you know, stop taking selfies and start looking at the world around you. Be the lens. Be the lens versus, yeah, be the lens versus the, the focus. Yeah. You know, being the, being the lens instead of in front of the lens. Yeah. And you know, I, I wonder how many people in prison, if they could learn to focus out instead of just how much they were wronged or whatever. and. 
I'm not saying it's easy and it's a, a magic wand, but no, um, you know, it's I wonder how many people would escape <laughs> when they get out would actually be able to be be a contributing member of society. Having said that, I think maybe we need to, as much as I hate legislative action, I'm wondering if we need to look at, you know, having some sort of protections for businesses that hire inmates yes. and, and things like that to make it more affordable and less risky for them to do that. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't like, amazing. <laughs> I don't like legislation, but I'm, you know, I don't know at this point, given our current structure of society, I can't think of a better solution off the right. top of my with the way the world is in our and that's kind of how you got to make things happen and then when it becomes a societal norm then whether or not the legislation is there society still would uphold it as a free market in theory or even just remove the issues with the um with the insurance being so much higher just don't do that mm -hmm. oh look at that look at that <laughs> and we start to shift the, par the paradigm there we go there's the paradigm shift and next time we will discuss the Ninth and Tenth Amendments, outlining the lost idea of federalism and talking about the state versus national rights. Truth is not what you want it to be. It is what is, and you must bend to its power or live a lie. Miyamoto Masashi, the 16th century or 17th century samurai. So I leave you with that thought. Please seek truth and stay curious. Thank, Thank you, everybody, everybody, for joining us. <laughs>